Welcome to the Open Door Podcast. My name is Patrick. And my name is Anthony. In this episode, we talked with Emma. She is currently at the Bartlett at UCL in Architectural Studies. Her current project dissertation talks about defining the factors of uh, a domestic space compared to a business space. Um, so it's quite like a British-born Chinese thing to do to like grow up in a, in a takeaway. Um, and this has never really crossed my mind before, but it's, it's like a really interesting topic. Just to let you guys know, this episode was recorded a few months ago. So Patrick talks about his expectations of moving in Singapore. But obviously, he's there right now. Patrick, are you quarantining? How's it going over there? Yeah, yeah, I am. So this is uh, my first uh, 14 days of self-isolation and it's going pretty good. Uh, The Singapore government basically assigned me to a five-star hotel to carry out my self-isolation. So that's really nice. And also meals are basically just brought to my door every day. Um, so, mm. you know, I just, I, I feel like I'm living like an emperor right now. It's kind of, <laughs> life will never be this good for me ever again. <laughs> um, yeah, enjoy it while it lasts. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, I actually, I, I thought I'd be going a bit crazy right about now. But, you know, I, I think keeping busy is really helping. I've got a lot of coursework to do and obviously editing this podcast. So... I'm not just sort of idly laying about because that that would drive me crazy but you know in that situation do you know what would be really useful Timestamps for my life <laughs> so i could <laughs> skip forward to the interesting parts which is what our episode has right anthony <laughs> yeah, skip past the day and just go straight to the meals the cooked yeah. meals <laughs> but as usual the episode timestamps are in the description if you want to skip forward to any particular parts But without any further delay, this is Emma. During your degree, you chose to go to Chinese University of Hong Kong. And you wrote in your application that you wanted to go back to your roots. (laughs) Yeah, I did. (laughs) How, How was that experience of going back to your roots? Did I go back to my roots there? Was it successful? I think in a way it was like half and half because in a sense I explored Hong Kong more as a tourist and not as a local who grew up there, you know? So no matter how much you want to go back and learn more about your roots, it's not the same. And I think you will always be an outsider no matter how long you've moved there for. I only lived there for nine months, I think. And there's so much that I did not know before and after I left. I don't think I successfully got back to my roots because your roots are so much more complicated than you think it is. It's not just immersing yourself in that environment slash culture. There's a reason why it's called roots, you know, but as a tourist, as someone who wanted to just go onto the surface level, then maybe I did because I made a lot of friends with locals. I got to know more about the city and the way that they felt about Hong Kong, for example. But if you go like deep into like traditions and actual culture, then no, I didn't actually. So I don't think I successfully did that. Do you think you could have succeeded though if you had a bit more time? Not really because I'm not entirely sure about my culture. Like what is 
being Chinese because our culture is British Chinese, not Chinese. And I think no matter how long I lived in Asia for, I will never know what the culture is all about because I read an article for a module the other day and it was talking about etic and emic. So basically etic is being an outsider looking into a community and emic is being the insider perspective. So I don't think I will ever be that insider perspective if I were to live in Asia just because I didn't grow up there. There are different layers to a culture. For example, for us, no one can just become British-born Chinese. There's a reason why we're called British-born Chinese and not just Chinese because there are so many different layers to our culture, our education, our upbringing, you know, our family, even our parents who moved over here. That is like secondary influence, you know, to our culture. Um, so no matter how long I've lived there for, I don't think I'll ever, you know, be fully immersed into that culture per se. What do you guys think? <laughs> in a weird way in Korea, I felt like I was close to my roots, even though I wasn't born there. I remember stepping off the plane and walking through Incheon Airport with my, my passport in hand. I was trying to hide my passport to not let other Korean people know that I was British. In hindsight, I don't know, I'm, I'm pretty sure I did that because... I wanted to assimilate into the culture as quick as possible. So I remember keeping my passport in my pocket and then have my plane ticket in hand instead. And in preparation to assimilate, I, I learned Korean as fast as I could. Somehow it, it just clicked for some reason, the language, even though the grammar was the other way around to English. I'm not going to lie, it took a bit of time to get used to, but it wasn't uh, stressful to learn it. it. It felt pretty second nature. I learned to cook Korean food. Um, I ate all the cuisines, local cuisines, not just the popular ones like Korean barbecue. I don't think you can really assimilate to Korean culture if you just eat that. Seems a bit too cliche and popular, but if you go and eat mudfish soup, which not a lot of people know about, but it's pretty healthy. Just, yeah, just doing all these really nuanced cultural things. I felt like I was Korean for a brief moment in my life, maybe just for one year. More so than Hong Kong, actually. Why is that? I think it's the mentality of the Hong Kong people, of our generation. Are you saying like the Korean people are slightly more accepting and open-minded to you? Yeah, yeah. Whereas Hong Kong people, when they found out that I was British-born and not pure Cantonese, I could sense a certain amount of coldness in their attitude towards me. It was as if I wasn't pure enough to be part of the Hong Kong clan. And that probably wasn't the case. They probably didn't think that at all, but I got the sense that it was like that. But with the Korean people in Korea, I remember I was hosting a English club, a private English club on Thursdays with professional Koreans in their 30s. And they treated me like I was one of them, even though I was blatantly not Korean and speaking in English accent, but also speaking Korean to them sometimes. And it just felt really nice. It was nothing I felt when I was in Hong Kong or at university with my Hong Kong friends. I didn't feel that kind of acceptance, but in Korea I did. So it left me thinking, maybe I have some Korean in me, like a small percentage. Maybe, maybe. Yeah, that's super interesting actually, because weirdly enough, when I was in Hong Kong, I never declared myself as just like 
Hi guys, my mother was born in Hong Kong, or you know, I am Chinese. I would always say like I am British-born Chinese, just so they know that I am not one of them. <laughs> as weird as that sounds, because I think in that sense I'm more free to make mistakes. I don't want them to see me as a perfect Chinese person. When I go over to another country, I am bound to make mistakes, and I feel like. In a way that's more accepting. Basically, I wanted them to see me as a foreigner. Maybe that's why I couldn't fit in. <laughs> Maybe that's why I couldn't like get back to my roots because, in a way, I felt so uncomfortable with uncomfortable with just inserting myself into a culture. Like, hey guys, I'm coming over from Britain. Plop, and I'm into <laughs> Hong Kong. No, that's not how it works. You know, I can't just do that. You know. Maybe that's why I felt really uncomfortable because I knew there was a time limit. I see. Actually, I get that. I, maybe it's because it's less stressful pretend not having to pretend to be something you're not. To be honest with who you are, I think that's more comfortable, isn't it, to live? Yeah, I guess so because I I don't enjoy、um, being someone that I'm not because my grandma would always tell me about. She lives in Guangzhou, which is like a province above Hong Kong, so it's in China. And she's always calling me and telling me about Chinese traditional culture or Chinese traditional norms, I guess. But back then, when she was a little child, so everything that she says is, I wouldn't say outdated, <laughs> but you know, everything's changing. So it's a little bit difficult to just、um, do what she says and become Chinese. She would always tell me like, "Oh, Emma, this is how you should behave when you go over to China. Like when you come over to my place, people wouldn't like you if you do something in the Western mindset." But I'm like, Grandma, I'm not Chinese though. <laughs> like I am from the UK. I am born in the UK, and I grew up surrounded by Westerners. There's a reason to my behavior and my personality. Like I'm more open. I'm more, you know. I don't really care too much about、um, stuff that maybe traditional Chinese people do. But it's because I grew up in the West and not in the East. I would always argue back. Well, not argue because she's an elderly, old, fragile woman.、Um, but I would loudly say to her, <laughs> Grandma, like I am. British-born Chinese for a reason. I wasn't born in China. And do you think she feels hurt when you don't identify as fully Chinese? She does. She does because I think she wants her grandchildren to know about her culture as much as possible. She wants to pass down knowledge, basically, because she is old, you know, and. My brother and I are one of the last generations that she can influence or like give knowledge to, because for my children, they're gonna be third generation British-born Chinese, and I don't know what society they'll be growing up in, but she is the only living Chinese person that's living in China or Hong Kong at the minute. So obviously, she wants me to know as much as I can about the culture that she grew up in. What about you, Patrick? Do you feel this sense of responsibility to pass down culture? I'm quite intimidated by 
the fact that I'm going to have to teach my kids Cantonese because my Cantonese isn't great and it's certainly not good enough to teach someone. Um, and there's like festivals and the history behind why we celebrate this and that. Like my knowledge of Chinese history is not great either. In fact, I was telling some of my cohorts this year about mid-autumn festival and they're like, oh, well, why'd you do this? Why'd you do that? And I'm just like, it's, it's a good question. It's, it's almost, it, it's quite shameful, but I don't know. I should definitely know more about my own culture. And I think that's one of the things that I aim to do when I move to Singapore and live there for, for a few years. I hope to get closer with Asian culture in general and maybe improve on my Mandarin at the least, if not pick up some other languages on, along the way. But I think on my application, I also said, like one of the reasons why I picked Singapore was to go back to my roots. <laughs> so <it's, laughs> I think that I'm starting to think it was a cliche thing to say now. <laughs> but it's true, like I've never lived in Asia before. I've only ever been to Hong Kong as a tourist, essentially. I've heard horror stories about the work-life balance in Hong Kong. I've never experienced it, but and I don't ever want to experience it, if I'm going to be honest. Apparently, it's very common to just work way past whatever time you're supposed to finish. Like, you don't leave until your superior has left or is done with their work, right? Like, don't get me wrong, I'm happy to work as hard as I need to and for as long as I need to, to get that day's work done. But I'm not going to, like... Staying just for the sake of appeasing my superior seems a bit, like... It feels unreasonable, right? I'm not being, like, ridiculous in saying that. But maybe that's just, like, my Western attitude, you know? <laughs> like, when I worked in my placement year, it was, like, 5.30 on the dot. Like, some even sometimes before, people would have their jackets ready, computers already logging off by, like, <laughs> 5.29, just so they're out the door by 5.30. Like, they're not willing to do, like, another second of work. Um, but, you know, I don't really mind. Me. <laughs> definitely me. But yeah, it definitely is like a Western mindset. Like, why would you do something that you are not paid for? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. In a sense. Or why go to that extra effort when you are dedicating like a nine to five at your job? Like, you don't want to work like an extra 10 minutes over time if you're just waiting for like your superior that's also my mindset like at work I always like wear my jacket at <laughs> 4 25 like because I finish work at 4 30 so I always get my jacket my bag on I go to the bathroom and I'm like okay and then I will leave at 4 30 on the dot <laughs> that Crazy. is when I leave maybe it's because like uni uh, work I'm like if I'm not getting paid then I'm not doing it so <laughs> like there's no point but I do know like Japanese people work overtime like super intensely and Koreans I think as well like they're okay East Asia yeah, yeah, <laughs> in yeah. general their work ethic is so intense and yeah I have friends from all those countries and they will stay in the office until like 9 10 11 p.m I think it's insane and it's clearly not mentally positive. Yeah, it's <laughs> not know, healthy. It's, it's draining. Yeah, that's the word, healthy. It's not just not a healthy lifestyle, I don't think. And I really enjoy the Western mindset. It's mm. not as if we don't get our 
work done. We we do maybe at a slower pace than East Asia, but uh, you gotta have fun and work hard at the same time. So talking more about work, um, you told me that you're incorporating your British identity into your architectural project. Uh, would you mind telling us more about that? So basically, it's on the British-born Chinese lifestyle, growing up in a takeaway specifically. I think I'm really interested in the aspects between private and public, home and business, because in a takeaway, it is my home, yet it is a business. So where does this invisible wall come through and where does this threshold come in? Is it time that's the threshold? Like, is it between... 6 a.m. and 9 a.m. it's home and 9 till 12 is that a business why do we have to separate these two things I lived upstairs my bedroom was up there and yet the staff so we had to have like uh, front of counter staff and the staff are able to go up to the toilets aka where I take a bath you know (laughs) my family space so they are able to come up anytime that they would like so yeah there's also that boundary that I'm interested in like the spatial public and private boundary is as if there's like an invisible wall and um, I don't know about your homes but we have Buddhas at home because my mum and I uh, buy some yeah so I don't know how to translate that uh, pray we have to like give respect to the gods um, every morning, actually. So it's like our ritual every morning. And the way that our beds are placed, like Chinese culture, you know, you don't put your bed facing the door and you don't have mirrors in your bedroom because of like the dark side, quotation marks here. <laughs> yeah, also like feng, feng so, like yeah, yeah. good luck, all that stuff. I'm also interested in that as well, in home. So in domestic spaces, how does a space automatically become Chinese? Because we all live in a house. You know, everyone lives surrounded by four walls and a ceiling and the floor. But how is it that this space automatically becomes this culture through which objects and through which positioning and ideology that's behind it. I'm also conducting interviews with British-born people who grew up in takeaways, so maybe try and find commonalities uh, between them, but I don't necessarily want to suggest that all British Chinese takeaway residents have the same experiences as I do, because we're all different. So that's my project, I think. Look forward to seeing it if it is. I hope so. (laughs) Once I write something down, because this is all just me like talking and I haven't even like written anything. And my tutor is always like, Emma, this topic's so interesting, but when are you writing something? (laughs) I'm like procrastinating and I don't want to write anything yet. (laughs) Uh, I am one of those Asians where I really am not like stereotypically... Asian <laughs> like my friends call me um Fasian because I'm not an Asian <laughs> like I'm not clever enough <laughs> according to them um 
and I don't really like working either so but I feel like a lot of Asians are like that as well so I don't really know where this stereotype is coming from I think in general Asians tend to be very hard working I mean we, we talked about it before right like in the workplace people I mean I suppose they don't want to stay but they will for some reason will stay and do overtime for like I think it's mannerisms because to be honest like I get where they're coming from like I don't like being rude and I would stay if my superior is there like if she doesn't leave then I will not leave because out of like courtesy I feel bad <laughs> I also feel like a lot of Asians have maybe this is from like an outsider point of view like a British born Chinese but I feel like a lot of my Asian friends have so many different facades I don't know whether that's just me and I feel really bad for saying that but yeah I, I found that as well like the Asian friends that I've made sometimes they can be a bit two-faced like they have different personalities depending on uh, what crowd they're in yeah kind of and it's like it's kind of scary because I don't know who's talking bad about me behind my back because like in front of me they might be like oh hi like how you doing da, da, da. but then towards that other friend they might be like oh did you hear what she did but I think it's common for everyone to do that as in like western people as well so I can't really just like generalize like Asian people for doing that but even my grandma says that like Asians do have a lot of sides to their faces because face is so important she always says that that phrase, like, face is a very Asian thing, and hence why Asians have so many different faces. That's the one thing that I... Also, my mum, that's the reason why my mum is not going back to Asia, because she's so used to the Western kind of, like, straightforward talking style that if she goes back to Asia, she's scared that someone will talk bad about her behind her back, and she doesn't like that, because she's also very straightforward and, like, to the point. My mum feels the same thing about going back to Hong Kong. She doesn't want to go back purely for that reason. Oh, really? Not, yeah, purely, but the other minor reason is the living space. But the primary reason for not going back is the negative Hong Kong culture, the, so the society and how they treat others. Yeah, like you said, it's a bit multi-faced and she doesn't like that. It's, uh, it's really stressful to deal in relationships when you're having to deal with doubt whether that person is the real person that you're talking to or whether that's a face they put for you. And it's really... Yeah, going back to what we said, you know, not having to pretend to be someone you're not, it's a lot less stressful to live. I think that's, yeah, I think we're just all going back like circles and circles, but everything interlinks with each other, mm -hmm. you know, like everything's interconnected and there's a reason why we behave in a certain way. So there's a reason why we are British born Chinese. So You mentioned that previously you owned a Chinese takeaway slash fish and chip shop, right? What, what was that like? Because I think you said that you, you lived like above it. That was like your home. We had two fish and chip shop, I think, um, with a Chinese takeaway. The only one I can remember is the one up in Lancashire since I was, you know, I grew up in that one. It was my brother, my mother, my grandma from my mum's side and the chef who lived upstairs at this Chinese takeaway slash chippy. Well, the chef was kind of like an uncle by the end of it because he basically lived with us anyway. But 
if you think about it, like we only had three bedrooms and what we had five people. Yeah, it was my whole life was in the master bedroom. <laughs> and it was my grandma, and my uncle had their own rooms just because one was male and one was an elderly lady who needed her own space. <laughs> so it was my brother, my mum and I who lived in a room, I would say like no larger than a five by five meter room. And imagine 10 years in that room, all my clothes, all all our clothes, sorry, um, my brother's computer, our TV. It was a mixture of everything. It was like a bedroom, our study room, our dining room, our games room. And so like looking back, I have literally no idea how we managed to live like that for eight to 10 years. But yeah, it's kind of crazy. It's just a norm though, wasn't it? You were just used to it. So you just got on with life. I guess because I was young, I had no concept of like spatial awareness. Did you have to help out at the takeaway when you were growing up? I didn't have to work, no, but my brother did. I think I was too young. <laughs> my mum really dislikes women working because this is why I think that it's more of a traditional mindset, like a Chinese traditional mindset, or maybe like a gendered mindset that men should be the ones working and providing income for the family. And women should just be in the house enjoying life you know but yeah my grandma and my mum also think like that so naturally I do not think like that because I was born in the UK whereas they grew up in China or Hong Kong you know yeah yeah I think Asian parents they, they can tend to have that kind of traditional mindset whereas uh, like you said whereas us when we grew up in the west which is slightly more open-minded which is really good but yeah, uh, is, there, is there anything else you'd like to add? Don't be afraid. As a British-born Chinese, you're always bound to find your community somewhere and sometime. I think it's... I have a lot of BBC friends now just because I'm doing this project of mine. So I feel like I can relate to people more now. So I think it's quite nice to have that community. And it's getting a lot more widespread after lockdown, I think. Like this year really blew up like the British Asian community. I think because everyone was stuck at home. <laughs> and so they had time to do like social media pages and podcasts and, you know, YouTube channels. I think it's really good that we're having like a more British Asian representatives, like representatives in Britain, which is good. I like it a lot. So congratulations to your podcast because it's good. It's good. Yeah, I'm really happy that you guys are starting this. Thank you. Appreciate that. Thank you very much. So, that is the end of episode 6. We'd like to thank Emma for giving us her time to tell us about her unique story of going back to Hong Kong as a British-born Chinese. So Patrick, what did you think of this episode? Uh, it was interesting that she didn't even try to fit in when she lived in Hong Kong. Because I usually try my hardest to like not stick out too much when I'm there. Um, but I, I totally get it because it, 
that does then come with um, a lot of pressure to speak perfect Cantonese, which we're just not well equipped enough to do. And then if you go down that route, then it leads to some potential embarrassment when you get called out on it. So I understand, um, but I also understand why her grandma would be quite hurt by that kind of attitude because in her eyes, it probably seems like Emma's um, kind of like neglecting her Chinese side a bit. Yeah, I think also it's unnecessary pressure too because you weren't born in Hong Kong, so there shouldn't Mm. be um, too much emphasis on you knowing how to speak Cantonese perfectly. Mm. It should be understandable. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense, but, you know, I don't think people in Hong Kong always see it that way, you know. Um, yeah. But I was I was quite surprised to hear about her mum and her grandma's, uh, like, traditional Chinese mindset about gender roles. Because um, my mum used to say similar things to me uh, in, in regards to her expectations of my future partner. Um, you know, they're a bit old-fashioned um, in terms of doing the housework, for example. So, um, you know, she would she would expect uh, my my partner to to do all the housework, um, you know, as as it was traditionally. And I was just like, well, you know, the housework's going to be split evenly because she's going to have a job as well, and we're both going to work full time. You can't expect her to work full time and then also do all the housework like society has changed it's not like that anymore and even if society hasn't changed the economy has changed you know like before families could survive on just one salary but Mm. I I mean as a scientist I'm definitely not going to earn that much I don't know about you but (laughs) I'm definitely not going to be able to earn so much that I can just support the whole family by myself Um, yeah um, but she definitely gets it a bit more now she kind of understands now because I showed her you know, like how much houses cost these days and the average salary of a scientist. And it's just, it's not enough to cover a mortgage on on my own. And, you know, things aren't how they used to be. Like, if I could be a house husband, I I would gladly be one because that sounds like a great life. You know, I don't have to go to work. Um, Could spend all day cooking. I love cooking and I love cleaning. I I mean, I just like housework in general. Um, Doesn't sound so bad and get to spend more time with the kids. So win-win. But I'm just never likely gonna uh, find myself in that kind of financial situation where I can do that. So, yeah. Yeah, society when parents were our age were, was definitely not the same as now. I think... Mm that would really drastically change um, societal norms. As you said, it should be um, okay for husbands to be house husbands. There shouldn't be any problem with that. But also, in the episode when she talks about the um, redefining going back to your roots, she gave me a lot of reason to, to rethink that, actually, my position on it. I never really saw it the way Emma did. Um, and she said that it's called roots for a reason. They're, you know, obscured and deeply embedded from your view. And it sort of implies it's difficult to get to. It takes a lot of effort. And at the same time, it's interconnected and, and, and yeah, interconnected with everything and everyone in your own life and obviously 
the things that happened before you were born. And if we go by example of you know, roots and trees, then maybe if I did try and put more effort and to find out more about my ancestors, maybe the furthest I can go is the base of the trunk, meaning maybe just several generations, or not even that, just two generations. Mm. I mean, there's so much family history that I'll never, ever find out because of you know, poor documentation and and I feel I feel quite sad about it, but and it just reminds me of what you said, Patrick, in Sophia's episode about you recording your conversations with your relatives so that you could show mm. your future generations. And with current technology, I think that's possible. We could document our own lives in in much much de- much a much more detailed way, and we can show who uh, who their relatives are, our future generations. I think that's something I would do from now on. You know, they might not get to their roots, but at least they could see us in a fuller picture, you know, my family, maybe a century down the line. Yeah, maybe. Um, But, like, this concept isn't exactly new, you know, like, voice recorders have existed before now, but I think people just don't really tend to think about it. And, Hmm. you know, some people argue that you should just live in the moment and stuff, but I, I really enjoy recording those moments because they're just so precious and they're priceless. You, you'll never be able to get those moments back and those yeah. stories as well. You know, once they're gone, they're gone. So it makes me a bit sad to think about it like that, especially the moments that I can't go back to get because I've really forgotten them. You know, I, I, yeah. there, there are some, some moments I didn't record and... I'll never be able to recall those again now that I've forgotten them. It makes me a little bit sad. So, yeah, the recording thing is a really good idea. I, I like that. Um, hmm. But, yeah, if any of you guys moved to an Asian country, let us know if you actively try to fit in or not. Emma had a really relatable reason for not doing so, and we'd like to hear um, about your experiences. Um if you liked this episode, please come and let us know on Instagram. Uh, episode 7 will be out same time next week. But yeah, that's all from us. Thanks for listening.